Hello church, greetings to you wherever you happen to be. I hope you are well and staying safe during this seemingly never-ending pandemic. We miss each other terribly and we're all longing to get back together again for in-person worship. In the meantime, keep the faith, don't lose hope, the good Lord will see us through. I've been preaching a series of messages on the 12 disciples. Uh, Today we come to the disciple Thomas. Let's begin with prayer. Almighty God, you have spoken to us through your Son. Let your written word now be spoken and heard by each of us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand that we may not refuse your calling or ignore your voice. May we all be taught by you through your powerful word. Bring our every thought captive to obeying Christ. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning at the 24th verse. The risen Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The disciple Thomas gets a bad rap. He will be forever known as Doubting Thomas. But the fact is he possessed a number of admirable qualities that make him stand out among the twelve. All that we know about Thomas is found in the Gospel of John. The first three Gospels merely mention his name, and we first meet him in the 11th chapter. Jesus had just received the sad news that his dear friend Lazarus was critically ill, so Jesus resolved to go to Bethany. All the disciples urged him not to go, lest he fall into the hands of his enemies and be put to death. But it was Thomas who said, Let us go, that we may die with him. Thomas here showed great courage and loyalty, and his his love for Jesus was such that he was determined to share his Lord's fate. But then again, he proved not to be so courageous and loyal when he and all the others ran away when Jesus was arrested and crucified. Thomas was a critical thinker, and he wasn't afraid to ask direct questions. There was the last time he and the other disciples had supper with Jesus, for instance. Jesus was talking about dying, and he said that he would be leaving, but he wouldn't leave forever. He talked about going to the Father's house, preparing a place for them, and he told them that they would be together there. And Jesus said, you know the way where I'm going. Well, the disciples may have nodded their heads, but I don't think they had a clue what Jesus meant by this. But it was Thomas who dared to ask the question that everyone else was thinking. Well, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I have the feeling that Thomas wasn't entirely satisfied with Jesus' answer. In fact, Thomas may well have been generally frustrated with Jesus' teaching style all along, for it would probably seem to him that the Lord was always speaking in riddles. 
Thomas must have asked a lot of questions along the way. Thomas was a, he was a, a tell it to me straight kind of a guy. He just wanted to cut to the chase and get to the heart of the matter. There was, there was no beating around the bush with, with him. Thomas gets credit for having the courage to risk asking the, the dumb question that everyone else wanted to ask, but were too afraid to for fear that their ignorance might be exposed. But I appreciate people like that. They're not afraid to ask questions and none of us should be. It's through questioning after all that we learn and grow in knowledge and understanding. Kids, as you know, are especially good at asking questions and, and every kid goes through that, that why stage. It may drive you crazy, but it's, it's nothing that you want to discourage. And sometimes the questions are really hard to answer. Questions like, who made God? And will my dog go to heaven? Sometimes kids come up with the best answers. I like the, the boy who was asked the ancient question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken had to come first, said the boy, because God can't lay eggs. Makes perfect sense. Think of the story of a father and his young boy who went for a walk and the son was full of questions. Dad, how does electricity go through wires? I don't know, said the dad. I, I never knew much about electricity. And after a big pause, the son asked about what caused the wind. That too has puzzled me, came the reply. And after many more questions, none of which the father could answer, the son said, Dad, I hope you don't mind me asking all of these questions. Not at all, replied his father. How else are you going to learn? Well, we may not know the answers, but asking questions should be never discouraged. I find it quite sad to hear of, of Christian leaders and churches who actively discourage their people from asking difficult questions. Just believe, don't question, they say. But how strong can your faith be if you've never asked the tough questions about Christian belief and doctrine, you've never wrestled with issues, if you've never tested your faith or seriously thought about it? No question should be off limits in the church if it comes out of a desire to grow in, a, in our understanding and to come to a knowledge of what is true. When Jesus chose Thomas to be part of the Twelve, I'm sure he was well aware of Thomas's inquisitive, analytic personality. And in his book, that may well have been a real positive. Thomas was not only a critical thinker, but a down-to-earth realist. It didn't come as any surprise to him that Jesus was nailed to a cross. What he expected to happen, happened. And when the end came, Thomas was no doubt broken-hearted, overwhelmed by grief, and he withdrew from the other disciples. Sometimes when people experience profound grief, they don't seek the companionship of others. They just want to be left alone. So Thomas was not among the disciples in the upper room when something truly extraordinary happened. Jesus suddenly appeared, risen from the dead. He showed them his wounds and breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. They couldn't believe their eyes. Jesus was alive. They were, to use C.S. Lewis's, to use his words, surprised by joy. When the other disciples told Thomas that they had seen the Lord alive, it seemed too good to be true. No way. How can this be? I'll never believe unless I see the nail prints in his hands and feel the spear mark in his side. I want proof. And so forever after, he has become known as Doubting Thomas. But I wonder if that would have been your reaction and mine if we were in Thomas's shoes. After all, people aren't raised from the dead every day. 
Imagine seeing what Thomas had seen, how Jesus was treated so cruelly and so unjustly, flogged with a whip, mocked by soldiers, dying a grisly death on a cross and placed in a stone-cold tomb. Jesus was dead and gone, no doubt about it. And now we're told that Jesus is alive? You've got to be kidding. Thomas desperately wanted it to be true, but, but he was too much of a realist to believe it. And so he doubted. Surely what the others must have, they must have been hallucinating, a product of wishful thinking. Well, as we've seen with all the disciples, Thomas's humanity uh, showed through. Don't we all have our doubts from time to time? The Bible is full of people who doubted. Abraham doubted God's promise. Moses doubted God's authority. Elijah doubted God's power. Job doubted God's justice. All Jesus' disciples were actually great doubters. It wasn't just Thomas. It's human to doubt. And our doubt is expressed in different ways. Sometimes it takes the form of, of anger and hostility. Some tragedy befalls us and we, and we shake our fists at God and say, God, why did you allow this to happen? We doubt God's concern for us. Lord, are you really there for me? We look at, at our chaotic world and wonder if the Lord really is on his throne. Is he, are you really in control, Lord? God, why don't you do something? Prove to us and to everyone else that you really are alive and that you mean business. We can be like the Pharisees who demanded that Jesus show them an unmistakable sign from heaven that, that, to show that he was who he claimed to be. Show us one spectacular miracle and then we will believe. Woody Allen speaks for a lot of us when he says, if God would only speak to me just once, if he would only cough, if, if I could just see a miracle, if, if I could just see a burning bush or the seas part, or my Uncle Sasha pick up the check. The fact is, even if God were to perform some great miracle before our very eyes, we would rationalize it away and cast doubt upon it. The Lord, of course, doesn't work that way and refuses to perform on demand, but, but really the proof is all around us. If we would but look around and see, life itself is a grand miracle. It's beautiful to see how Jesus dealt with this doubting disciple. Eight days later, the risen Jesus appeared again in the upper room, and this time Thomas was present. Jesus doesn't scold him for his lack of faith. He doesn't make an example of him before the others. But very patiently and in an act of mercy, he allows Thomas to place his trembling fingers on the nail prints in his hands and the spear marks in his side. And all Thomas can say is, my Lord and my God. This is not an expression of surprise. It's theological truth. Thomas was overwhelmed by the realization that the person standing before him was none other than the Lord. But not only that, but God himself. Thomas, who was once a doubter, utters the greatest confession of faith in the New Testament. From that point on, Thomas becomes more devoted to Christ than ever and was even more bold in his Christian witness. Christian tradition and history tell us that Thomas traveled outside of the Roman Empire and was the first to bring the gospel to the Far East. He preached the gospel as far away as India. There is still a Christian church in India today that claims to have been founded by Thomas in 52 A.D.
Tradition says that he was murdered in India, stabbed with a spear. Thomas had a big advantage over us. He could actually place his hands upon the wounds of Jesus. The risen Lord made himself physically present to him and to all the other disciples. And then he says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. To be honest, even though Jesus said the greater blessing is for those who can believe without seeing, I have a feeling that not a few of us would have liked to have traded places with Thomas. Imagine actually seeing his face, hearing his voice, touching his wounds. But the good news is that you and I can still experience his presence today through the eyes of faith. Christ makes himself known through the reading and preaching of the word. He makes himself known wherever two or more are gathered in his name for worship. He is present with us in the breaking of bread and Holy Communion, and he is there wherever his people are breaking faith and hope and life and love to others. He makes himself known in many ways, and in the end, it's the, it's the experience of his presence that stills our doubts and makes way for faith. Blessed are those who have not seen, said Jesus, and yet believe.